So we continue our sermon series on Hope Starts Today. And um, before we get started, just a couple of things I want to share with you all. And, um, I, you know, I mentioned last week our little prayer cards. And so I hope that you had a chance to pick one of these up. And matter of fact, you might want to share them with somebody. And so it's just a reminder that we're going to continue to pray for revival, pray for revival in our own personal lives, praying for revival in our community, praying for revival in our church, which Don Piper is going to become. Matter of fact, I, we have these little flyers out there in the, in the narthex. If you'd like to pick one up or take four, several of them, maybe give them away. Invite somebody to come to church and be a part of our revival experience next week. I'd encourage you to do this. Use this as an evangelistic tool. But also the important thing about this little prayer card is it's just a reminder that we continue to be in prayer. That we're praying for, you know, praying for uh, the idea that, that we put God first and pray, go to God first and praying for that we just open up our hearts to the Lord and praying something, something specific. So this is just a reminder. I hope that you'll be able to use these cards as we um, continue to make our way through the year. So the, I hope that you'll be able to take advantage that. So you can pick up on the theme this morning. We're to talk a bit about the idea that we um, we have this anchor, um, and the idea that we're um, anchored to hope, that we're plugged into hope, that we're connected to hope, and and the idea is uh, who are or what are we ultimately plugged into, or who are what are we anchored to, or who are we plugged not only or ultimately who are we um, connected to, and especially when it comes to. Well, life, and especially in times when we're um, struggling in life, and the, the storms of life are, are kind of howling around us. And so um, I found this little commercial this last week, and um, I think you, you'll get a kick at it. Um, it it's what a, well, it's one of my new favorite little commercials. I always got a favorite commercial. And so um, this is a Hyundai commercial. And so um, let me just uh, share this with you. Uh, here we go. No gas, no squeegee. And so, you know, I got to kick it out of that because, you know, once we get it, I'm thinking about what are we plugged into? What are we anchored to? Uh, what are we connected to? And so here's, let me just read the text this morning. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that commercial. So we have this hope that as, uh, well, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, and enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Uh, this comes from the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So um, the, the, I when I showed that commercial, do you remember the time, and Lakato actually talks a little bit about this era in American history. And most of you might remember this. So do you remember a time when you would actually go to a filling station and there would be a, the squeegee guy would come out and the squeegee guy would come out and he would be actually willing, willing to pump gas for you. Do you remember a call full service? So he'd come out and he would have the squeegee and he would offer to be able to actually clean your windshield for you. He would actually pump the gas for you. He would actually check your air and your tires. He would ask if you could check the oil in the engine. You would do all that. He would actually collect the money, go in and pay, come back. And there was a time in which you, in the era that you had a credit card, like my father used to have a Chevron credit card. And the guy would come out with the, she well, my father would give him the card. He'd come out with this big contraption. He'd go, and you had the carbon copy. Does anybody remember that part of American history? Can I amen on that? Okay. So what's very interesting, I know there's a few young people here. And so when I was doing my ministry moment, filming this last week, I started talking talking to uh, Austin and uh, Brad. And of course, they're under 30 years old. And I began to explain to them this part of American history, and they had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> no clue, right? And so what was very interesting in that part of American history, you know, we got full service. And then all of a sudden, one day, um, all of a sudden, you remember this, the squeegee guy went bye-bye. We had no more squeegee guy. 
There's no more checking the air on your tires. Nobody asked to come out to pump the gas for you. Nobody was going to come and, and check your oil. Nobody was going to squeeze you your windshield. Just didn't happen. You had to do it yourself, right? So then all of a sudden you're seen at the pump. And you remember this. And, and there's a time in which you would go to the pump and you go, okay, now what do I got? I've got to serve myself. And so you'd have to go in to the, well, and go pay the, the cashier. And you say, hey, I'd like to have, throw $20. I'd take, I'll take 20 on pump six, right? So then you pay and then you have to go back and you go pump the gas yourself. And back then there was actually like a stop on the, on the meters, right? So if you went over, then you had to, well, once again, I remember one day when I was a little kid, I was pumping gas for my grandfather and my grandfather came with a depression. And so um, I was pumped the gas and so I put $20 and two cents in. And you know what my grandfather did? I didn't think it was any big deal, but he went back and paid the cashier two cents. Because that's how he was. And they looked at me and think, don't do that again, right? And so, so, uh, and so there was a time in which we had to go in. And so there was still some kind of, I mean, we had this connection with somebody at one point because we would have the squeegee guy come out. And then we had a connection with the cashier because, once again, we still had to pay. Uh, but then all of a sudden, one day, you, get, you had the pump and then they, uh, you could pay at the pump. Do you remember that? And that freaked me out. I mean, I don't know about you, but it kind of freaked me out because all of a sudden, what do I do? You know, I, I, you, you can get gas or you have to go inside or I don't go inside and you have your little credit card. So then I finally figured out that you could actually pay the pump. And so many of y'all remember, so we've gone from this era where you had full service, then you have self-service, and then now you really have absolutely no service whatsoever because now you're going to have to go see the clerk. You don't have to talk to anybody now in American culture, which reminds us that, once again, there's a sense of kind of disconnection. And then what's interesting about that particular video I just showed you a few minutes ago, no gas, no squeegee, no gas, no squeegee, no gas, no squeegee, right? And so what I thought was very powerful is that if you watch the commercial, the context of the commercial had everything to do like, well, okay, I thought the gas, I thought, I thought that the squeegee was free. Well, the squeegee is free, but it comes with gas. Why don't any gas? Well, no gas, no squeegee. Okay, so what's interesting when it comes to the promises of Jesus Christ, there's no contingency, there's no but. So when it comes to the grace of Jesus Christ, hold on to this, there is no but. It's not just, once again, the, the grace of Jesus Christ, the promises of Jesus Christ aren't contingent upon a but. Um, and so when I think about this, um, what I find is very powerful. I, I love Lakato's quote because he was talking about, you know, this era in American history about paying the pump and not paying the pump and so forth. He says, you know, you need fuel. Doesn't take long to burn up a tank. Boss demands more hours. Doctor requires more tests. Spouse wants more attention. Church needs more volunteers. Everyone wants more. Before long, you're just out of gas. Um, heaven has an ample supply of energy, but how do you make the connection? How do you put God's gas in your tank? Well, here's the answer. And this is what Lakato says. Well, you fill your tank with the promises of Almighty God. All 7,487 promises. And you know what? I, I love that. But he says there, there, um, there has to be um, a few that when I think about it, there's got to be at least a few there, the 7,487 you can hold on to. 
And, and so when I was thinking about this this last week, you know, many of us are going through our own, I mentioned last week about Job. Many of us may feel like Job. I mean, the idea of cancer or confined or death or divorce or deserted or being run over by a truck or passed by. Where do you go for hope? Where do you go for your promises? And we go to the Lord for the promises we continue to stand on. I thought this is really interesting because I love this. We have the, this hope that is, is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. And so when I think about today, what are we plugged into? Plugged into God's hope. What are we anchored to? Anchored to God's hope. What are we connected to? We're anchored and connected to God's hope. And so then Lucado also talks about the idea, about this idea of anchor. And I love this. And he says, we don't need just any anchor. We need a real true anchor. And he contacts, can you show this picture of this cartoon character? Do you remember Popeye? Right? And so I love Popeye. And he says, well, we need an anchor like the one that's tattooed on the forearms are Popeye. He says, you know what? It's big and it's strong and it's double pointed. You need an anchor that can hook and hold on to an object that is stronger than the storm. You need to anchor a good anchor because your vessel is valuable. Your soul is valuable. I love that. Your soul is valuable. You know, I mentioned this, I think I mentioned this last week, and you know, we have men's breakfast, and we have lot, we have prayer groups, and, and what happens t- typically is when we're talking about prayer, and in the midst, especially in the midst of COVID, we're praying for people, we're praying for their physical healing, and we, you know, 90, you know, almost all the prayer requests that continue to come in, usually in the prayer, uh, the prayer uh, quilts up here, usually have everything to do with some kind of physical healing in, in life, but how often we think about, I'm just going to pray for someone's soul. Because your soul is valuable. Um, I, I, you know, I mentioned I, I love watching Oak Island. And so the Curse of Oak Island. And so these, uh, the, the Laginas are looking for this lost treasure. They've been looking for almost like nine or ten years. And there's all these seasons going on. And now they have this extension of their show called Beyond Oak Island. So they're going all over the world. And they're looking for lost treasures for other things besides on Oak Island. And the other day they were in Vero Beach. And the reason why they were in Vero Beach, they don't call it the Gold Coast for no reason. Because there was all, back in the 1700s, the Spanish had this great idea. They came to the New World. They were actually getting all this gold from here in America, and they were shipping it back to Spain. And they didn't. One thing they didn't count on was hurricanes. And what would happen was along the coast of near, especially near Vero Beach and that whole area, is that they would be able to. They would be making their way going on, but they didn't have an anchor that would hold. And to all the valuables, and there are literally billions and billions of dollars that are lost along the Gold Coast, and these billions of dollars of gold, and they're continuing to look for all these in the midst of all that wreckage. And so, what my point about that is, there, your soul is valuable. Your soul is a tre- is a is a treasure of great worth. And you know, when I, your soul, when I think about your soul, and one of the things that Cato talks about, he says, you know what, it, 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 it's value, but it helps us ask really great questions, isn't it? Like, for example, why am I here? How can I make a difference with my life? Or why do I feel guilty when I do something wrong? Or, you know, why am I so emotionally connected to my dog? It's because I've got a soul and Charlie's got a soul, right? Matter of fact, my dog did not want to go out in the rain this morning, but he still has a soul because he didn't want to go to the bathroom because it was pouring down rain. You get that, right? But I, I love my dog. And, and so when you think about what the idea of, you know, we have a soul and, and it's anchored. I love this, this image that we find in the book of Hebrews, this, this idea that it's anchored, it's set in. And here's a reality. I want, I want you to hear this really clear. Your anchor cannot be ultimately set in or connected to a person. 
Now, listen, I love my wife, and I'm appreciative of my wife. And my wife, you know, when, I, when I went through my accident, man, she carried me. I mean, literally, she carried me for three months. But I, I, my, my anchor is not ultimately connected to my wife. My, my wife has been a, a rock for me. She loves me unconditionally, and I've tried to be there for her as well. And you, you all get that, right? But an anchor, according to the Bible, is not necessarily a person. The, the, um, the anchor is not a possession, I mean, you, it's not about your 401ks. It's not about all the things that we have. We have beautiful homes. We got beautiful cars. We got beautiful, th- you know, have, but it can't be a possession. And it can't be ultimately something that we, well, here's another little thought when you put it in perspective. It can't be just pleasure. You know, we live in a beautiful community and many of y'all live, you know, most men live in the villages and there's all these great things to do. You can play all the golf you want. You can play all the pickleball you want. You can play all the bridge you want. I mean, we live in this beautiful opportunity, but it just can't be a person. It can't be a possession. It can't just be all about pleasure. And what the Bible teaches is ultimately we have to have something of great, well, how well, how the Bible puts it ultimately is that we have to have an anchor that's connected to promises of Almighty God. And it is connected to one person, but it's not my wife, it's not your husband, it's not your children. It's gotta be anchored to the promises of Almighty God. This is what we find in the text. So the promises that, um, I love this, that, that, that we find the promises and the presence of Almighty God. Do you, and one of the things that Lakato talked about, he says, do you feel all alone with your problems? You aren't because Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is always interceding for us, Romans 8. Is the grave a dead end? Nope. Death has been swallowed up in victory, 1 Corinthians 15. Will sorrow, sorrow ever end? Weeping may last through the night, but my joy comes in the morning, Psalm 30. I love this quote with Lakato. He says, death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment. They cannot take hope because they cannot take your Jesus. So one of the things he talked about, he um, gave this story about um, John and Laura in the book. And uh, John and Laura were living an American dream. They lived, I, I think they were probably a part of Lakato's church in Corpus Christi, Texas. And so um, one day um, they lived along the Blanco River. I've never been to the Blanco River, but the Blanco River rose, well, it rose 28 feet in 90 minutes. And so they literally fled for their lives and they crawled to the top of the roof and the river began to rage and it, it completely appended their root, uh, completely and appended the whole house and they began to be wa- washed away. And so John began to tell the story at his family's eulogy because his wife didn't survive and his two children didn't survive, but he did. And one of the things that Lakeda made a point about as he sat there and listened to John's eulogy about eulogizing his, his family, he says, you know what, I have placed a lot of faith in this text. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then he says, you know what? I I kept listening and kept writing down. Lakeo says, I kept writing down all the, the references that John had made about the word I know. I know that God is not going to give us anything that we can't handle. I know that we are here for a little while. I know that this entire tragedy is horrible. I know I will be reunited with them in heaven someday. And then he goes on and says, you know what? He didn't find any, any easy answers, but he, he, he did find the answer. He didn't find any, any easy answers, but he did find the, the, the ultimate answer. And the ultimate answer is he continued to find his hope that was built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, no wonder Jesus encourages his followers the way. By the way, the early Christians were not called early Christians. They were not just called Christians. They were called followers of the way, right? And so always pray and never lose hope. Luke, the 18th chapter. So, I mean, we, we, need just, we need hope. We don't need any kind of hope. We need hope that stands on the promises of God. We need, we need the 7,487 promises that we continue to bank on day in and day out to get us through the storms of life. And, and so I, I love this, this story in, or this context. He says, you know what? Um, it's interesting that Paul used the word abound and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that. Abound and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when he talked about, don't we all need abound hope? I mean, the idea that we're just drenched in hope. When I, I did my run this morning, I felt pretty abounded. I want you to know that. And the being completely drenched. And so he loved that the image of just being completely drenched. I mean, like, like the summer comes and all of a sudden you get these huge showers and it's rained so hard that the windshields can't even knock the water off you. And she says, the idea of completely being abounded or being drenched in the hope of Jesus Christ or the idea of being abounded in the beauty and the love and the grace and the hope of Jesus Christ. It made me think about this picture. I got a picture of my son Luke on the edge of, this is um, taken actually in Park City or actually in Zion National Park. I love that picture. He's once again on the edge of a cliff. Don't tell his mother. And, um, and so there he is. And this is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I'm telling you, one of the most beautiful places in America. It's, it's in the Zion National Park. And what I love about that is standing there and just taking it all in. And the idea of once again, being abound, the idea of being drenched to be, to completely be overwhelmed with God's amazing beauty. The word abound and hope. And can't we all use some abounding hope? Can we amen on that? It is, it is, and here's another question Lakeda brings up, and I think it's a really great, is what I'm anchored to stronger than what I will go through? Think about that. Is what I'm anchored to stronger than what I'll go through? When we, by the way, we have 7,487 promises in the Bible. You gotta be able to pick up well, at least one, right? And we have, we have put our hope in the living God. It's, it's a daily decision that we make day in and day out. Am I placing my faith? Am I placing my hope in Jesus Christ day in and day out? So I love the story. It's about Russell Carter. He was born in 1849. And so uh, uh, you probably don't really know who Russell Carter is, but he's actually fairly famous. Um, he, at the age of 15, Russell um, became a Christian. He was a young man. He was a great athlete and, um, and turned his life over to Jesus Christ, made a commitment. And at the age of 30, um, a matter of fact, he um, was kind of one of those overachievers. He did a lot of different things. A matter of fact, he was at one point, he became a United Methodist pastor. Um, he became a physician. He became a chemist teacher. He became a mathematician teacher. Matter of fact, he was even he was even a sheep herder at one point in his life. So he did a little bit of everything. This is Russell Carter. And at the age of thirty, um, he was teaching, in, I think, in a military academy, mathematics or chemistry. And and so um, he was a, he was a, literally on his deathbed at the age of thirty. He had this heart condition, and so one of his friends is evidently there at his bedside and kind of writing down, evidently, a little bit what he was saying. And what he said to his friend, he said, basically, listen, my hope is in Jesus Christ. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. But I continue to ultimately stand in the promises of God. So out of that came the song, 
standing in the promises of God. And so, you know, and I mentioned these last words, and he's standing in the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail by the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. And now you know the rest of the story. As Paul Harry would say, good day. Standing on the promises, hope. So, you know, Lakato wrote all these great stories, but I, found, I think I, I found one's just as good or even better than what he written in the book about hope. And so it comes from my friend, Tom Hayes. Tom is um, a member of our church and Roberta, um, they're just p- two pillars in our church. And so the, um, they're on their way uh, uh, up to see family at Christmas time. And all of a sudden, um, Roberta has this aneurysm and um, she's just stricken. And so her life hangs in the balance. And so uh, we're got back to our church, and so we continue to pray for Roberta. And um, so then um, this last week, I, I was trying to get in touch with Tom, and I, I couldn't get in touch with him by via phone, so I emailed him, and I, I just wanted him to know that he, we were praying for him and connected for him. And so this is the email he wrote back to me. I mean, he says, you know what, Harold, thank you so much for your support and prayers. We know this is going to be a long process because of the seriousness of the aneurysm and the bleeding it caused in her brain. I want you to know that it's because of our Lord. Our Lord knew this was going to occur, that he made sure it it didn't, it happened at the right time, at the right place. If this would have occurred 20 minutes later, Roberta would have been driving on I-95 going 70 miles per hour. And I think that would have been a, well, that, 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 I think that would have been a highway accident that both of us would not have survived. The amazing time of the medical help is also amazing. She had the event at 8.25 in the morning on December 23rd. And by 8 o'clock that evening, the surgeon was telling me that she came out of the surgery and the surgery was successful in the process of stopping the bleeding. He also said that this will be a long process of healing, but it's confident Roberta will have a full recovery. Prayers and love are what is going to get us through this because God gives us hope. And he goes on, he says, without hope, life would be very difficult. So I want to thank you and New Covenant for your continued prayers, Tom. So I emailed Tom back and I said, Tom, I am so grateful for your note. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm preaching on hope this week. And I said, would it be okay if I shared this story with you? And then, and then I, I shared with him and I said, listen, hang on, hang on to your hope there, buddy. The rope of hope. You and Roberta are anchored to Christ. We have this hope that is like an anchor for us. It is strong and sure, and it keeps us safe. Harold. So he emailed me back, and he says, Harold, of course you could have my permission. And then he goes on and says this. Jesus is the Lord of my life, and in him I place all my trust and hope. See, I want to be plugged into that type of trust and hope. I want to be connected to that kind of trust and hope. I want to be anchored to that kind of trust and hope. So my friend Stu Yao is here today, and um, I'm really appreciative. So I heard this, um, uh, Stu actually is very good friends with Tom. And you know what Stu did? He took the, the prayer quilt that was on our altar a couple of weeks ago, and he drove all the way up to North Carolina and hand-delivered that quilt on behalf of our church. And he stayed for an hour. He visited. He gave them Holy Communion. He gave them the quilt. And he drove home. All for an hour. And so to me, as I shared with our group last night, I said, you know what? This is what it means to live into the vision that Christ has laid upon our heart of our church. 
I mean, I think that is a, one of the most powerful testimonies in my 11 years being with you all of living a division to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus Christ. Commitment on that. I mean, you were talking about being anchored to hope. This is a story about being anchored to hope. This is a story about being connected to hope. This is a story about being plugged into hope. And don't we all really want that kind of hope? And so I, I love this, this imagery we have. And I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to be once again about these little prayer cards. And, I, and you know, you're going to think I'm like a broken record. But let me tell you something. I'm going to continue to share this with you over and over again throughout the year. Because I, may, I tell you, I need revival. You need revival. We all need revival. Give me a minute on that. Our church needs revival. We need revival in our community. We need revival in our country. And we have to pray. And Jesus has given the model. And so I start out my day. And once again, I've reminded you all. I get on my hands and knees and I say, Lord, thank you for the breath of my lungs. Thank you so much for another day. Let's just start there. Because today's a gift. Don't ever take it for granted. Because it could be here one minute and it'd be gone the next. Okay? And so here's another thought. How about just praying the second part? Help me be faithful to you because I know that you will be faithful to me, Lord. Hanging our hope on that. Thank you, Lord, for another day. And Lord, thank you. help me be faithful to you because I know you will continue to be faithful to me. One of the things that Lakeda talks about, the idea of uh, the promises of God and anchored to Jesus Christ who continues to be the key of the promises, says, hey, listen, are you bereaved? Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Are you sick? The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. To the lonely, when you pass from these waters, I will be with you. To the dying in my father's house, there are many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. To the sinner, my grace is sufficient for you. Promises over and over and over again. I love these words from this old hymn. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so when you think about what is our hope connected to? I love this story. You know, one of the things that Lucado talks about in the story in his book, he talked about the idea that he says, with us is the Lord our God to help us and even fight our battles. Second Chronicles. I never thought about the idea that you know, the Lord helped us continue to fight the battles because we're always, well, let me tell you something, the devil's always messing with us. Can I be amen on that? He's always out to get us, especially in our vulnerable times. And so the Lord is willing to fight these battles. Um, I love this story. Um, a few uh, years ago, the little boy, his name is um, Nadan. And Nadan was, his mother is from Liberia. She was fleeing for her life from Liberia to be able to actually come here. And here's a picture of Nadan. And so evidently, um, when he had moved to this brand new neighborhood in, in Philadelphia, the boys, some of the kids in the neighborhood began to pick on him. And so he was only like five foot two. He weighed about 100 pounds soaking wet. And of course, he was the, he was the new kid. And they started taking advantage of him until one day they really bullied him and they went across the line. And they actually ended up at, and this is in Philadelphia in the wintertime, and they actually pinned him up into a tree. And so the kids who did this, well, they did something pretty stupid can you imagine this? They actually videotaped it and they posted it. So what happened was, this went viral and Naden's story ended up, well, he ended up being on all the talk shows and the kids that did this to him ended up in prison. And so this kid um, was, one day he was on one of these talk shows and so, um, and they, they did, well, evidently Naden was a big Philadelphia Phillies 
fan, a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And so, um, so Deshaun Jackson, who was one of the stars in the team, um, showed up and they opened the curtain. This, one of his heroes came out. And so Deshaun Jackson, not only um, when he came out, he says, I want you to know something. And he gave him his cell phone number on, uh, he says, listen, if you ever need me, if you ever need anything, I want you to know, I know a guy. And can you put that picture back up? He says, I know a guy. I, and he weighs about 380 pounds and he's my lineman, right? <laughs> I love that. We have this Lord that was willing to fight the battles for us. So I, I, I close with this little thought tonight, uh, today. And, and so I, I love this idea that here is the promise of God. I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Hebrews, the 13th chapter, which is very interesting. Let me teach for a second. The word helper there, and you break it all down in the Greek. It literally means, ready? Shout is the first part of the, of the word, and to run in other words, when you need help, God runs with a shout. And this is what he's saying. I'm coming. That's what the word helper means. I'm coming. And God's willing to shout it to the, uh, to the rooftops to be able to make sure that you know that you're never going to be abandoned, that he's always going to be there for you. So I close with this thought. You know, I, I've got my little visual aid here today. I got my little squeegee. No gas, no squeegee, no gas, no squeegee, no gas, no squeegee. And so what's very interesting, what's a, what's a squeegee's role? And so the squeegee's role is really, actually, it's just got one role. It's to be able to, well, ultimately clean your windshield. Why do you clean your windshield? Why do you get all the love bugs off, all the dirt? It's because you want to be able to see clearly. And so the point of the message today is that I, my hope for all of us is that we all can see clearly the promises of Jesus Christ. And that it's the ultimate, the promises of Jesus Christ is what anchors us, sustains us, keeps us plugged in. It holds fast because we need to anchor the not will not let go, especially when the storms of life come howling in. In my life and in your life, thanks be to God. Amen.